Thank you for joining us tonight at College Night. We do this about once a month if you're new to Highland. My name is Drew Humphrey, and I have the privilege to be your friend and to be the college minister here, and I'm just thankful to be able to gather with you tonight. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, uh, go there. It'll also be on the screen if you don't have either of those. Galatians is uh, all basically towards the back of the Bible. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's really probably three-quarters of the way through your whole Bible, you're going to find First and Second Corinthians. Those are really big books. And then right after that is Galatians. That's going to be where we're going to be, Galatians chapter 5. Normally at college night, we might have some different tables set up, and, and you might be able to sort of have some application with others through questions. But tonight we're doing things a little bit differently because the word that the Lord has brought us to tonight is a heavy word. This is not my idea. This is not uh, my best advice to you. What you're going to find tonight is straight from the word. And, and my challenge to you is even if you walked in here alone, that tonight you could receive from the Lord and then you could respond to the Lord. At the end of tonight, we're going to have opportunity to be able to, to come forward to the altars or to go back to the prayer teams. If you're alone with, with, with no one here tonight, that's great. If you are sitting next to your boyfriend or girlfriend or your roommates or your best friends, my prayer for you tonight is that you would receive from the Lord, from the word, not from Drew, but from the word and then you would respond to the Lord. That is my prayer for all of us, for myself tonight. There's a famous quote that you've probably heard, and it's by Albert Einstein, and it goes like this. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is what? The definition of? insanity. You remember that? All right, good. I would say he was close. It's actually a word that rhymes with insanity, and that word is Christianity, okay? And uh, sometimes as Christians, I think, as you see behind me, this New Year's same me, right? A lot of times this is how our life feels like it works, like that we're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting better results, different things, next steps. That sin from my past life is going to be different this year. And it turns out that the same thing keeps happening over and over again. And I want to say to you tonight, this is not God's design for Christianity. If this has been your story, if this is what marks year after year, season after season, the struggles, the same you know, things that keep plaguing you, keep holding you back, that keep you in slavery to sin, God would say that that doesn't have to be true. You might say year after year, you know, place after place, I've got a new girlfriend or boyfriend, the same results. I've got a new community, the same results. This does not have to be true about you because in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, if you just want to look at the very first verse of Galatians chapter 5, it says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And as I think about Christians, my friends, as I think about college life, when I was in college, you know, honestly, this verse didn't, didn't really define my story, my faith. My story was more like what's behind me, New Year, same me. Same old struggles, same old person, same old efforts, but not getting there. I was burdened by a yoke of slavery, of slavery to, to sin, and maybe many in this house are, are struggling with sexual sin or impurity or anger or idolatry or, or greed or pride or laziness. And it's once again a new year, the same us, the same me that's not free but is burdened by slavery. And tonight, I feel as though Galatians chapter 5 has the potential to unlock some things in your life, that the Spirit of God might move through this text to be able to, to make it be a new year and a new me. And so that is my prayer for us tonight. I want you to know that as, as I was thinking about different things that we could talk about and, and I was just you know, thinking, Lord, what can we do? The Lord really put this passage in my heart 
but specifically there was, there was an, a focus on the struggles of sexual sin. And as I, as I did research, as I thought about my own life, as I thought about the conversations that I had had with different guys or that different people on our team had had with different girls, even our leaders, our members, some new Christians, some Christians for two decades, many of them were still saying, I'm, I'm still struggling with sexual sin. Data would say that uh, if, if we were to uh, poll this room, if most of us in this room are Christians, Data would say that of 18 to 24-year-olds, which is what makes up this room, 18 to 24-year-old Christians that 74% of them are, are struggling actively with pornography, men and women, 18 to 24-year-old Christian. So if you think you're alone in that, you're wrong. If you think about your house, if you have four people living in your house, that means one, statistically one of you is not struggling with that and three of you are. I want you to, to think about that because what Satan wants to do is he wants to tell you that you are the only one struggling in your house, that you're the only one struggling in this house with hundreds of other people. Whatever your sin may be, whether it's sexual sin or it's any of these other things, God wants to change that in your life. He literally sent Jesus to die, to set you free. So that as we just read, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, that we may not have to be burdened by slavery any longer. This does not have to be my story. This does not have to be your story tonight. If you look at verse 13, just a little bit down in chapter 5, it says this, that we're called to be free. It's, it's not just that we are free, but that we're actually called to be free, which is this calling to do something, to live free, not just to be free, but to live free, but not to take advantage of that liberty or that freedom. Do not use your freedom, it says, to indulge in the flesh. See, we're, we're free from the guilt of sin. This is the gospel, that we're free from the guilt of sin because of Christ giving us that experience of, of, of God's forgiveness we're free from the penalty of sin because Christ died on the cross for our sins, from the guilt and the penalty. But I'm here to tell you tonight from the word of God that you're not just free from the guilt. You're not just free from the penalty. You are free from the power of sin in your life, Christian. It does not have to be the same year, the, same, the, the new year, the same me. It doesn't have to be the case. It can be true of you that the power of sin is gone through the Spirit, which is what we're going to see tonight. Through the Holy Spirit of God, the power of sin is gone in our daily life, but there's a tension, there's a pulling, there's, there's this, this fight over our, over our souls. Charles Spurgeon is a famous preacher, and he, he said this quote, which I hope it encourages you tonight, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Consider how valuable you are, how much of a world changer you might be, how your gifts might be used by God, that obviously God would send his son to unlock freedom in your life and simultaneously Satan would do everything he can to stop that freedom from happening. That is how valuable your soul is. So if you walk into here tonight saying, I am not valuable, I am not known, my gifts aren't worth it, my life isn't worth it, according to the Bible and according to what God is willing to do and what Satan is willing to do, that is not true. You are so valuable that heaven and hell are fighting over your soul. You know, when it comes to freedom, we understand freedoms. We understand how this works in America for better or worse. We think about freedoms like the freedom of speech or the freedom to worship, the freedom of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But in all those freedoms and in America, what we do is we legislate freedom. We write laws or we write rules and, and we make ways to, to be more free as a society. And so we enact these laws to create freedom. But this strategy has been tried by Christians, by people for, for millennia, long before America you know, started to legislate 
freedom like this. This was what we were trying to do with our faith, to, to legislate, to create laws or rules on the outside, hoping to change for more freedom on the inside. And it just wasn't working. Paul knew this wouldn't produce true freedom from sin in our heart. And so God used this writing, this letter that was written to this other church. But now this church, we receive these words from God through Paul. And he's going to explain to us that no amount of rules or legislation can change a person's drawing to sin. But it's not the laws or the rules on the outside. We need a, a power within, a power that comes only from the Holy Spirit of God. Go to verse 16 in chapter 5. I want us to begin reading uh, right here in verse 16. There's a conflict that's set up. This conflict that we've been talking about is set up in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. A lot of simple words with complex ideas. There's a conflict set up between the Spirit and the flesh. And, and this conflict between the Spirit and the flesh, when we talk about flesh, we're not talking about like your skin and your bones. We're not talking about your body or the literal body here. It means the flesh, if, this, if you're writing notes, you might want to write this down. Flesh really means the part that is at war against God. The part of us that, that is at war, the sinful pull that's inside of us. That's what it talks about when it's talking about this conflict of the sin versus the spirit. And the spirit and flesh, they have different appetites. Uh, they create a conflict in us because what is of the flesh is drawing us one way. What is of the spirit is drawing us another way. And so let's keep reading in verse 19. Read a few more verses. So the acts of the flesh or the, or the works of the flesh are obvious. If, you're, if you have a pen and you're a note taker in your Bible, circle the word obvious. The works of the flesh, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Underline and the like, or circle whatever that, ver that last phrase is as well. Paul sets up this, this conflict between the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. And, and, and one thing, like I said, that I wanted you to underline was that the acts of the flesh or the works of the flesh are obvious to us. When I was in the sixth grade, I was on AOL, Instant Messenger. I know none of you know what that is, okay? But imagine, like, you know, Facebook Messenger chat without Facebook, okay? That's all it was. And, you know, I would come home from school and I would message my friends and that was literally all we did. It was the most boring thing of all time. But there were these pop-ups and there were these things and, and, and I stumbled across pornography as a sixth grader. No one had to tell me it was wrong. No one taught me what it was. No one showed me how to find it. It found me and it was obvious that it was not of God. I instantly knew that I should not be looking at this. And unfortunately, from that moment on, it didn't become something that I ran away, ran away from, but it was something that, that was really a, a bondage over my life. I was enslaved to it for a very long time after that in secret sin. And I want to tell you tonight that, that these things should be obvious to us. If you have the Spirit of God in your life, that tension that you feel, that conviction that you feel, that is evidence of the Spirit. It is obvious in your life. It's like when Apollo 13 and that movie or, or the spaceships or whatever else, when there's problems going on and the dashboard starts lighting up, you start to experience those warning signs of, of this is obviously not of God. 
You feel it, you sense it, but it doesn't always mean that we act rightly in response to what is obvious. And so Paul gives us three categories for these types of sins. And I want to say that everyone in this house tonight is, is probably actively struggling with one of these things or is at a minimum tempted heavily in one of these two categories. So I want us to look at them because we need to see what the word says so that our radar, so that our dashboard can be right, so that we can rightly understand what we should run away from. The first thing that Paul lines up is the sensual sins. If you're taking notes, uh, there are going to be some things on the screen. You might want to categorize them because it's a little bit lumped together and it's, it's hard to really, in a big paragraph of all these things, to think about them. But, but God says that we should follow, pull away from these sensual sins, verses 19, and then the second half of 21 talk about some of these things. It talks about sexual immorality, right? Sex is a gift from God, but it's the distortion of sex, whether that be pornography or that be you having sex outside of marriage or, or anything that is outside of God's design for sex, that gift, it becomes a distortion. It becomes sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Debauchery is just a, a word that means excessive indulgement and sensual pleasure, excessive indulgement, indulgence. The next one, drunkenness or, or wild parties. You know, one translation might say orgies, but another one says wild parties, and I think that one might apply to, to things in this room. Like, have, have you been in a place where it's like, man, my, my spiritual radar is going off. It is obvious I should not be here. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.18, we're not going to turn there, but if you want to write this down, 1 Corinthians 6.18 is important for the sensual sins and how to fight against it. It says this, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Something inside. It's not just something that you can run away from. If, if you're struggling with alcoholism, you can say, I'm staying away. I'm going to empty my fridge. I'm but sexual sin, it starts to, to apply on the inside. And it's something that you're sinning against your own body in, in an internal way. That's what God says about it in 1 Corinthians 16, that it's, it's sort of this elevated sin that we should flee from and avoid. But, I mean, take what God says away from it. Take what the Bible says away from it. Just look at what the secular word world would say about this. Everyone knows that, that sex is not just physical. It's not just physical. It's more than just physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's psychological. We understand the way that it affects us internally, even without the Bible, in that we, we would say that if you commit a, an act of sexual assault versus physical assault, we're going to weigh the, the sexual assault that will have a greater punishment than the physical assault because we understand how it, how it affects us holistically, not just physically. And this is why Paul and the Bible is so, so serious about this. And the reason why I bring it up tonight is because I don't feel like we're as serious about it as God. I, I think we're just like playing games with it, thinking that it's going to go away or that when I'm married it's going to be gone. And I'm telling you, that's not what's going to happen to you. It's going to ruin your life. God knows it. It's going to destroy you holistically. It's going to evolve. It's going to be the gateway drug of sensual sin that evolves into the next thing and something more damaging and more risky. And God just says, do not treat it like just a physical thing that is here and gone, but it is something holistic that we need a holistic healing for because sin does holistic harm to us when we distort the gift of sex, when we experience that rotten fruit of sexual sin. I'm telling you as someone who has experienced complete and total victory from, from these types of things that it is possible and that God's way is better than this way. This fruit is rotten. It is spoiled. And God's fruit is rich and it is right. 
and, and doing it this and living for purity is so much better. The second thing are these superstitious sins. Verse 20, the first half of verse 20, it gives us two superstitious sins. The first one's idolatry. You know, whatever we worship, whatever we serve. You know, if a Christian who devotes more of himself to, you know, his, his car or his house or his relationship or his video games or her friends or her school, these are the things that, that might be leading us towards idolatry when we, let, when we lead these things, when we, when we raise these things above ministry, when we raise these things above worship, when we raise these things about serving above serving in God's kingdom. The first was idolatry. The second was witchcraft. Some of you are thinking like, I like Harry Potter, but like, you know, I might have a wand, you know, whatever else, but I've never, you know, tried the witchcraft thing. <laughs> but actually the Greek word is pharmakeia, all right? You might hear a word in there, pharmacy. That's how we get our, our word for pharmacy. And, and what would happen is these, the reason he uses the word witchcraft is because at that time the magicians would use all these sorts of drugs to their advantage to sort of bait and switch people to think that they were magical when in fact they were just using them to, to put spells on people. And maybe there's a sort of momentum of gateway, literal gateway drugs happening in your life where it's like, oh, what used to be just that little thing that gave me the high is not the little thing anymore or it doesn't happen infrequently. It happens frequently and now I have to go to this and there's this sort of evolving momentum of these things. And the third and final thing are the social sins found in the second half of 20, verse 20, and the first half of verse 21. And he lists off a lot here. And honestly, if I'm thinking about the last like three or four months with like politics and the election and and um, the ways that we're treating each other as it relates to, to race and, and disagreeing about theology or interpretation of these things. He says, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, which is just disagreements that lead to more discord, factions, right? Like divisions or cliques caused by this sort of party spirit of like, I'm in my camp and you're in your camp and everything you do is wrong. These are the things God's talking about. I mean, this weekend alone, I read an article on time.com that talked about how all of these families, it was interviewing families who literally could not be in the same room together anymore because they disagreed so strongly, because they hated each other so strongly over the events, the politics, the culture wars of our last year. They couldn't even be in relationship anymore. And then finally, he includes envy in there. Those are the three things, the sensual sins, the superstitious sins, the social sins. But then, as I told you earlier, to underline at the end of verse 21, and the like. Maybe that doesn't include your thing, but he basically says, and the like. Well, just things like this, they're obvious to you. You know, I don't need to spend all this time unpacking it for you. You know. But I want to tell you what the Bible says about the rotten fruit of the flesh the Bible says five things that I want you to see. If, if you're not taking notes, maybe pull out your phone and just write these things down tonight. If you are taking notes, then you can, or, or maybe you can take a photo on the screen whenever it's done. But look at these things about the fruit of the flesh because Satan tells you that you will always have those things in your life. You'll never overcome those things fully. You'll, you'll have to choose these things, but look at what the Word says. The first thing comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. You don't have to turn there. Just look at what it says. We are not obligated to the flesh. Romans 8, 12 through 14. We're not obligated to the flesh. You can refuse its services. You can say, no thank you, because of what God has done in your life and the fact that he has broken the back of the power of sin. Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. So do not feed your flesh what it enjoys. You know the the, the 
road to, to where you don't want to go. And usually before you get to that place that you really don't want to go, there's about 14 exit signs of you should bail, you should bail, you should bail. You shouldn't keep clicking on this or you shouldn't keep talking to this person or you shouldn't continue to be in this relationship or this friendship. Do not feed your flesh what it enjoys. Romans 7, 18, nothing good is in the flesh. It's a farce. It's false to believe that you can find goodness in these works of the flesh. It's not true. It's a distortion of what's true. You'll think this is the thing that's going to bring me hope and healing and fulfillment. Oh, my relationship is, is, is increasing in, in friendship, and my relationship is, is leading towards marriage. So obviously the next thing we should do is this. Oh, you know, I, I really cannot stand that person over there or what they believe, and so therefore, because I know what is right, I should therefore hate them. I should be angry towards them. I should divide myself against them. We're lied to all the time. We think what is good is good, but in, in fact, it is actually not good at all. Philippians 3.3 says there's no confidence in the flesh. Somebody in the house needs to hear Philippians 3.3 tonight. There's no confidence in the flesh. You're standing on paper-thin ice when you stand on the works of the flesh. I mean, it is, it is thin ice that we're walking on. But when we stand on the fruits of the Spirit, when we stand on the ways of godliness, on purity, and on the things that are opposite of these things, it is a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And the last thing is Romans 8.8. 8. It says that there is no pleasing God in the flesh. Don't you want God's pleasing in your life? Don't you want his blessing? Don't you want his anointing? Don't you want that, that ability to know, God, I, I want you to tell me what I should do after college or what degree I should be in or what sorority I should join or, or what girl I should date? Or, don't you want God's help? Don't you want his blessing? Don't you want his anointing? His anointing, but no matter who you are, no matter how much of a platform you have or how much of a nobody you are, there's no pleasing God in the flesh. This is what the word says about the flesh. And my, my challenge and encouragement to you is to say this, that the flesh is not inevitable. The flesh is not inevitable. It's a lie that you will never see victory against sin. You are not obligated to the flesh. But I want you to read verse 21b with me, the second half of verse 21. And I want this warning to just resonate. And then this whole message and this whole passage is gonna pivot into this place of hope and of healing and of restoration and of unlocking freedom in our life. But look at what the second half of 21 says. Maybe you've tuned me out this whole time. Maybe you've said it's not that big of a deal. 21, the second half, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. That if you live like those things that we talked about, all those things that were listed out, if that defines your life, not that if you struggle with those things from time to time or if that if you had this season of prodigal lifestyle and you came back, that's not what it says. It says if you live like this, a lifestyle, a habit, an embrace, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a warning that I hope you hear tonight because Jesus came to break the chains of that sin, of that rotten fruit of the flesh. So what I want to do right now, before we move on and sort of pivot this whole message into, okay, so now what? How do I, how do I go forward? Is, is I just really felt the Lord saying, we need to just take a breath. The Psalms, if you're familiar with the Psalms, they use this word selah a lot. It's just like a pause, like reflect on what you've been saying, what you've been hearing, what you've been reading, what we've been singing, and just to reflect. So I just want to do that together. There's not going to be music that starts up. 
It's just going to be silent. And, and you could waste these 30 seconds or 60 seconds, and you can just be silent. Or I'd challenge you, though, to say, Lord, what of these things are you, are you highlighting for me to listen to? What are these things that I'm feeling conviction in? Connect with the Lord right now. Just sing this chorus with me. We'll just sing it out loud together. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I It's a way to respond to sin, just to be in silence before the Lord and just to sing a song of, of need, a song of help. The best news of the gospel, the best news of this Bible, the best news of my life is that Jesus is on record for 2,000 years dealing with guilty sinners no matter how badly you sin, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how many of those boxes you could have checked. There's a pastor who I heard said it this way recently, what elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. What elicits the tenderness, the gentleness of Jesus is, is not what have we done or what have we not done, but do we come to him on our knees and say, Lord, I need you. The works of the flesh have led me to a rotten place. Oh, Lord, would you give me life? Oh, Lord, would you give me hope? Jesus, thank you for dealing gently with us. And so now, instead of the works of the flesh, of the fruits of the flesh, we get to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What has God given to us? Look back at verse 16 with me. We already read it before, but look back at verse 16. He says, walk by the Spirit. So I say, walk by 
the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, it enables you to do two things tonight. I want you to see these things to take away, to walk home with, to walk in the Spirit so that you might walk in life and in that life-giving fruit of the Spirit. The first thing that we're enabled to do is to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit enables me to not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the first thing tonight. Verse 16, it says, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the the flesh. So how do we do that? What does that look like? I I love the Bible because so many times we just blaze past these simple words, these simple phrases like walk in the spirit. The word walk is a verb. It's a command to you and me. It's something that is telling us to to do something, to go forward. And, And when you study the original language with Greek, it's amazing. It's not just a verb like, oh, it's just a verb. There's these different kinds of verbs And this kind of verb, it's called this, a present active imperative verb, right? It's a present active imperative, which basically means this, present tense. That's the first one that I said present. It's a present tense. It's saying, in the now, walk in the Spirit, not in the past. It doesn't mean when you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. It doesn't mean, you know, future tense when you've got, it says right now, walk in the Spirit every day. It's present tense, it's, it's an active voice. So that means that the subject, you and me, is the one doing the acting. It means you and I are the one who are walking in the spirit. God is not walking for us. Your spiritual leaders aren't walking for you, freshmen or sophomores who are newer into, into the world of university world. Your parents' faith is not walking for you anymore. It's your walk. Present, active, imperative. Imperative means it's, it's the mood. It's the imperative from God. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, try this out and see if it works. It is a command that will produce spiritual victory in your life if you are willingly led and willingly walk in the Spirit. St. Augustine once said that there is no saint without a past and no sinner without a future. There's no saint, there's no superhero Christian without a past, and there's no, there's no sinner without a future. I want you to think about this idea, the, the one year, it's, it's, it's a new year, same me, this idea that we're talking about tonight. Think about one year, Paul was a murderer killing Christians, and the next year he was writing letters like this one, and he was unlocked into freedom by God. One year David used his power as king to have sex with another woman who wasn't his wife, to use his power to, to coerce her over and then to have her husband murdered. And then the next year, he was a repentant man who was called a man after God's own heart. You know, one year, Moses was a runaway murderer in the desert. And then the next year, he was the voice of God to Pharaoh, the king of all the people. One year, Rahab was a prostitute. And the next year, Oh man, her story was awesome. She, she had helped the Israelites to get into the promised land. She had helped God's people. She had been saved when the walls fell down because she had helped God's people. And then she was in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. Her name would be etched in the New Testament as in the genealogy of Jesus. One year this, next year that. When, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of your life, when you walk in step with the Spirit each day, you can experience victory over sin. It can be a new year and a new you. And you can have a future of victory. The second thing that walking in the Spirit enables you to do is, is to produce good fruit. First it was to not gratify the desires of the flesh, and now it's for us to do something to produce good fruit. 
Let's finish up reading in this passage here together as we land what we're talking about tonight and then move into a time of response. It says this, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, remember it's contrasting to those rotten fruits of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Other other translations say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The contrast between the works and the fruits are important because a machine, a machine in a factory, it it puts out a product, but it could never manufacture fruit. So this working could never manufacture fruit in our life in the same way. Fruit must come from life. It must come from a life of growth. And the only way we can experience that is by, as believers, connecting to the life of the Spirit. Many of you in this room may have futures on platforms like this, or you may be an Instagram Christian where you're like influencing other people, or you may lead a small group right now, or you may be called into being a a bivocational minister where you're working in the workplace, but you're also serving in your church, and, and all Christians are called to ministry. These are the things we think about, and so so many times when we think about the Spirit, we think first about the gifts of the Spirit. Oh Lord, I can teach, or I could encourage, or man, I'd be the best worship leader, or I'd be the best CG leader, or I could be a Christian counselor. Let me use these gifts, Lord. And before we think about the gifts, I want to hesitate and pause and say, have you really looked at the fruits of the Spirit? Before you've thought about the gifts of the Spirit, have you looked at the fruits of the Spirit? Because the fruits of the Spirit are about our character. And before we get to the gifts and the platform and the influence, we must have these things be about our character. We must have the Spirit pouring into our life on the inside So we might should change our focus. Focus on the character first. Focus on the fruit of the Spirit first before you focus on the gift of the Spirit. Before you you focus or worry about the influencing in the kingdom of God. So look at those fruits again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These aren't things to work on. These aren't things to try harder at. That would be works. These are things that are the result of walking in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, you produce more of these things. So maybe you want to ask someone that you trust, your roommate, your CG friend, your your mentor, what fruits of these do you see in my life? And if you're honest, what fruits do you not see in my life? Because Paul warns that there must be a right environment. He sort of closes this passage by saying there must be a right environment for these to grow. Doesn't mean that we can work on the fruits, but it does mean that we need to provide the right environment for these fruits to grow in our life. Because fruit will not grow anywhere. It must be cultivated in the prepared proper place. And so Paul understands this. And so let's read these last two verses together. Verses 24 and 25. This is our call. This is our challenge. It says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, Let us keep in step with the Spirit. You cannot produce fruit in your life. That would be work. But you can prepare the place for the fruit to grow, or you cannot prepare the place for the fruit to grow. And in every believer's life, we need two things to prepare it. And verse 24 is the first one. We first need a death. We need a death. The death of Christ, the crucifixion, yes, but the crucifixion with Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, with its desires. There's a death to cultivate a place for fruit to grow. Jesus did his part. Have we done ours? And then verse 25, the second thing. We don't just need a death, we need a living. 
a living by the Spirit, a living with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit as we live by the Spirit. There's a, there's a tension to produce that kind of a place. We're constantly in this tension, in this weight, in this question of, of will I produce a place like that where I've crucified the flesh, where I walk every day with the Spirit, or will I not? There's a tension for many in this house tonight, and I want you to be encouraged that Paul is completely familiar with that tension. It's why he defines it so clearly for us. And so in conclusion, I want you to look on the screen with me. There's a, a chapter in the Bible. It's Romans chapter 7. Maybe you've heard this passage before. I want you to read it. I want you to read it with me on the screen. I'll read it out loud. Here's what it says. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Paul's going to set up this tension for us, and, and I want you to really just be ready to receive from the Lord now. Because God, I believe, has, has something for all of us to respond in tonight. Romans chapter 7 with this tension. And I know that nothing good lives in me. This is the same writer, different book, same writer. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I, I want to do what is right, but I can't. How many of your years have been defined by that? I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. But tension. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me, and that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you will see how it is in my mind. I really, I really want to obey God's law because of my sinful nature. I'm a slave to sin. And I love this. It runs right into Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There were no subheadings. There were no chapters. He's just writing. And he writes into this, There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're experiencing a tension tonight, I want you to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul, he could illustrate this in many ways, and, and maybe something that would be helpful to you is, is uh, what I, I brought here in this bag. It's, it's this very heavy chain. It's a 10-foot chain, and it's like at least 25 pounds. <laughs> could probably drag a truck with it. You know, before you were saved, before you gave your life to Christ, the Bible says that you were completely, completely locked down in slavery, in chains to sin. And it's not just the, the slavery of the locking, like I can't get out. It's like the heaviness of it, the weight of it, the shame of it, the condemnation of it. And this is the wonderful news of the gospel, that Jesus came to break those chains so that they wouldn't be attached to you forever, but that so that you could release those chains, so that you could have freedom from those things, so that the weight of sin could go away, so that you could take them off by the power of Jesus Christ in your life. But here's what I think is happening to many of us, and it's what Paul's talking about here, it's what the, the challenge is for us tonight, that many of us as Christians, we're carrying around the weight of unlocked broken chains. We didn't take them off, but we carry these unlocked, broken chains around our, around our neck, and we carry the weight still 
of broken chains in our life. We could take them off. We could feel the freedom. We could feel the, 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 but we don't. And what I want to tell you tonight, Christian, I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life. I don't care if you're on the college staff. I don't care if you're a preacher. I don't care if you're going to be a missionary to China. I don't care if you're a CG leader. I don't care if you became a Christian yesterday. Christian, you can take the weight of these chains off. And you can walk in the lightness, the burden, the yoke of slavery, the heaviness of slavery to sin does not have to be on your shoulders because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is victory for sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have no obligation to the flesh. Jesus has unlocked something in your life. He's unlocked something in your life and you're walking around as if it's still chained on you. And I want you to know that there is a fight over your soul because there's something valuable, valuable about you to God. And the longer you walk around with that weight, the more you're going to accept the weight. And you're going to believe that it will never go away. And tonight can be the night that you say, I'm done with that. I'm done with the secret sin. I'm done with the secret darkness. I'm done with not talking about this. It's coming off tonight. And it can be a new thing. But i got to tell you tonight as we close, freedom. Freedom is not an event. It's not a college night. Freedom is not an event. It is a process. And so tonight, is, it could be the beginning of something, but here's the good news about freedom being a process. Every single person in this room, including myself, is on, that, is on that process, is on that track somewhere. Every one of us has something to do tonight. Tonight, the process can begin or the next step can be taken. So I want to ask you right now just to bow your heads, just to get into a posture that, that puts you before the Lord without distraction. Maybe you are the kind of person who walks in this room and says, honestly, I don't feel conviction when I sin. Maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit. Tonight might be the night that you need to give your life to Christ because the Bible says when you have received salvation from God, you receive the Holy Spirit. So tonight, you may need to go to someone. You may need to go to the back of the room. Actually, right now, if, if you're one of our uh, leadership team members, I'd ask you to go to the back of the room uh, and just to make yourself available you're a leadership team member and, and you feel that this is a time to do that, I'd ask you to go forward to the back of the room. Maybe you're a person who needs to respond. And of course, you can respond now. You can respond during the song in just a few moments. But my guess is a lot of people in this room are, are somewhere in between. It's the kind of person or situation where you're walking around as a Christian with broken chains, unlocked chains, but the weight of it is still around your shoulders. And you say, you know what? I am sick of, of believing that I'm obligated to the flesh to the rotten fruit that it produces year after year, season after season. This doesn't have to be my story anymore. Maybe you need to respond that way. You know, the Bible says this, that if you confess your sins to God, this is important, lean in on this. If you confess your sins to God, you will be forgiven. But then it says something different. It says if you confess your, if you confess your sin to one another, you will be healed. Many of you tonight have experienced forgiveness of sins from God, but you've never confessed sin to a brother or sister and so you don't experience healing. It's still darkness. It's still secret sin. It's between you and God. And I want to tell you tonight, you can go to your friend, you can go to a roommate, you can go to someone in the back of the room, and you can confess to someone else, and the Bible says you will receive healing. My, my story of victory started on a night like tonight 
where the guy told me, if you go tell your roommates tonight, your life has the potential to change unlike any other night in your life. And that night I went to my roommates and I said, this is the secret sin of my life. You must know, you must help me. And the process of freedom began that night. It can happen for you tonight. I'm gonna ask for you to stand with me at this time. We're gonna move into a time of, of singing a song or two here. They're gonna be leaders in the back of the room, as I already mentioned. They're over here on this side of the room. There's a few on this side as well. You can move to the back to receive prayer. No one will judge you. Everyone in this room is on the process of freedom. There's no one who's arrived except for Jesus Christ who's with us. So we're all looking to him right now. But the other challenge is I wanna ask you, maybe you need to come forward. There are prayer altars here. There's prayer altars right here in front of me. There's a prayer altar over there and a prayer altar over there. I would challenge you to come forward to pray before the Lord, to bring a roommate, to bring a friend. If you've had sin between two people, come together and pray. If there is sin between a boyfriend and a girlfriend, tonight you could walk forward and just start praying. And I'm gonna tell you this, it doesn't matter if you walk forward and you think, are people gonna think that I'm some crazy sinner? Because guess what? We're all struggling in sin. We're all on the process of freedom. And I'm gonna ask my leaders especially, CG leaders, I'm gonna ask you to move tonight, to be leaders tonight, to be the kind of people that come forward or go backwards and say, I am on a process of freedom and I need help right now. So over the next song or two, I just encourage you to confess to the Lord, receive forgiveness, confess to one another, receive healing, to make no obligation for the flesh, to walk in the Spirit. Lord, help us to do these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.